0: That is a dynamo, you got there. Praise God! I just want I, you know. There's so many priests here uh, last night and today, and, and Bishop has joined us again. I want, I want you to just please stand and give our priest and your bishop an applause. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. You know, to be honest, um, our love for our priests and our bishops, and I'm sure they would be the first ones to tell you not to put them up on pedestals. Uh, They are Christians, men walking with us towards Christ. The same time, you know, whatever happened in the 60s and the 70s to marriage and the family also happened to our priests and bishops and religious sisters and brothers. Because their dignity goes with our dignity. When we fail to see the beauty of marriage and the marital act, we also fail to see the beauty in the sacrifice that these men and women have given. Do you see that? A lot of times we just think the 60s and 70s just damage marriage and family. No, it was all damaged. So we need to, to re- establish our love for the priesthood, for religious sisters and brothers, um, so that we can also appreciate marriage and family. But this is a whole different talk. That was a whole other talk. That was not today's talk. But I I hear that um, I have till till 1230, is that right? 1230? And I started early. This is phenomenal. No speaker gets this kind of treatment. This is great. Uh, Before we even get started on This morning's reflection uh, Tony would get upset if I don't do this Um, we have some resources out of the table you know Tony and I have three hours with you today three hours and we would rather have about three weeks with you so we can take all of our experiences and just dump them on you Uh, but we don't we don't have that time so we have a lot of resources for you to be able to take back home for you to really share for yourself and your family that you can affect others with a message of discipleship, stewardship, and evangelization. I just wanted to point out a couple. Tony gave a brief testimony. In fact, um, I probably have to say that that was one of Tony's, I don't know if he's ever given a testimony in about two minutes. I think that might be his first miracle. All right, That was impressive. Uh, But we actually have this series called History Made New, How to Share Your Testimony, in which we teach you how to give your own testimony, but Tony gives his, I give mine, Uh, and that's in this series. The talk that I'm going to give this morning is in this series called The Gift, Change Yourself, Change the World, about how we live out prayer, almsgiving, fasting, time, talent, and treasure. That will be in here. And then we also have two books uh, that I'd like you to check out, in large part because these are the heaviest of our items. And to take these back home, I don't want to do. American Airline gives us these awful looks when they lift our bags and put them on the conveyor belt. So if you could please make sure that we don't leave here with anything. That would be wonderful. So hopefully Tony is happy that I did this. All right. Let us remember we're in the holy presence of God in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just step into your presence this morning. We step into your throne room and with the authority that you have given us in the name of Jesus by virtue of our baptism, Lord, we ask that you send your spirit upon us in a new way, in a mighty way, in a way that will open up our eyes and our ears to what you have in store for us. That you will truly call us out to be disciples that are all in, Lord, that are willing to share everything that you have blessed us with. Mother Mary, you were the first to answer that call, to be a disciple, and to share those gifts with the world. Please pray for us as we say, Hail Mary, Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Our Mother of perpetual help, pray for us in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. I have three things I need to accomplish this morning three things. First of all, I want to make the connection that Tony began to imply last night, which was this connection between discipleship and stewardship. By the end of this reflection this morning, I want to make sure that that is utterly clear to you, this connection between discipleship and stewardship. Then secondly, I want to talk about some serious callings of what stewardship places on us, the demands of stewardship, the challenge that is stewardship, and how we live it out in our practical lives as disciples. And then finally, the third point I want to make is how if we do this, if we go all in as disciples and stewards, not only will it change your life, it will change the lives around you. So that's the goal and I only have till 12:30 to do that. Sean is not looking at me. That's good. All right. First of all, we heard last night about being a disciple being all in, but the statement is this, once one becomes a disciple, stewardship is no longer an option. Once one becomes a disciple, stewardship is no longer an option. Now, I've actually heard someone share with me that they believed actually that stewardship is never an option, whether you're a disciple or not. And I agree with that, and I and I disagree with that. I think Father Father Mark shared last night, and I forget was whether it was what quote whether he was quoting Bishop or from the USCCB, but yet stewardship is more than volunteerism. Now. I would certainly say, whether we are Christians, whether we believe in God, we have a certain responsibility to our neighbors. And I think you see this play out. Atheists are sending money to Puerto Rico. And rightly so. We have a responsibility to try to take care of our neighbor. I wouldn't call that stewardship. Stewardship, as we understand it, is motivated by grace. To stewardship, the grace is love. It's Christian charity. It's sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving. Full and complete. That's stewardship. Not just simply volunteering at a library, but motivated by love. Full and complete. That's stewardship. Once one becomes a disciple, this is how it's lived out. And so I want to make this connection between discipleship and stewardship. And this is the connection. Discipleship describes our relationship with Jesus. This is what we heard last night. Are we all in with our Lord? Have we dropped our... Or what are the other nets that we need to drop so that we can go all in with Jesus? That's discipleship. Stewardship is how we live that relationship with Jesus, how we live it out with one another. That relationship is lived out with one another. That's stewardship. Let me give you two analogies that I think kind of capture this. Discipleship is like spousal love. Stewardship is like familial love. Right. Are you picking up when I'm laying down? Are you catching what I'm throwing? Are you eating what I'm serving? Are you smelling what? I don't know what I, I lost it right there. I, I don't know what that last one was going to be anyway. Alright, Discipleship is like spousal love. Think about it. When we talk about spousal love, we use devotional language. You mean everything to me. The sun rises and sets on you. We can use all those words to talk about our relationship with Jesus. It's devotional love. It's all in. It's faithful and fruitful. Discipleship is spousal love. But stewardship over on this side is familiar love. It's different. It's not that it's less. It's just different. I mean, Jesus said, love one another as what? As I have loved you. So this familiar love flows from this discipleship love, from the spousal love. Love one another as I have loved you. Do you see what I mean? That this is living that relationship out with one another. Just like the spousal love brings forth the familial love. The love of the spouses brings forth the children, our siblings. And notice this. When we say that we are all in, if I was to say to my wife, I love you with all of my heart. I can't imagine loving you any more than I do right now. And then we had our firstborn child. Then what happens? Well, sorry, honey, I have to take some of that love, just a little bit, and give it to her. Is that how it works? No. I love her with all my heart still, and yet... I love this little baby with all of my heart. Everything, as I have loved you with everything, so you must love one another with everything. But it is a different kind of love. It's different in kind, but not in quantity. It's a different kind of love, this familiar love, this relationship In other words, in a family, notice this, that people have different roles in the family. Some, it's their job to do the dishes. Some, it's their job to mow the yard. I don't allow my six-year-old to mow the yard. Because I like my yard. And she's nuts, so I wouldn't do it. We have different roles, but notice that in these roles, they are really responsibilities. And these responsibilities in our family are given to the family member based on what? Based on their talents. Based on their unique maturity. And if our family members are not doing what they are meant to be doing, their chores, their responsibilities, what kind of family do we have? Dysfunctional family. Well, I don't think we need to make a huge leap then when we bring that understanding into our parishes and into our diocese. Every family member in our parish has responsibilities and duties. And they're engaged towards what? Their talents. Their own unique, Abilities. Not everybody can write a six-figure check to the church like I can't. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) Not everybody is comfortable with getting up and teaching others. Some are. Not everybody is gifted with taking care of the sick and the dying. Some are. Not everybody is gifted with taking care of little children and bringing them to Christ. Some are. The gifts that we have been given, if they are not used, our families become dysfunctional. That is what it means to be a family, to live a stewardship way of life. Let me give you another example between discipleship and stewardship. So the family and a spousal relation is one example. I like this example almost as much. Follow me here. Stewardship is to discipleship what exercise is to a YMCA membership. Did you follow me there? Now, some of you are looking, Chris. You've not stepped foot ever into a YMCA. All right, that may or may not be true. Okay. However, I know this analogy well. Okay. So, exercise is to a YMCA membership what stewardship is to discipleship. In other words, I can have a YMCA membership, have a little card that has my name on it. I can pay my monthly dues. I can even go there and visit every once in a while when I drop my sons off for practice. But unless I'm using the equipment, what difference does it make? I mean, I've heard people say, I got a YMCA membership and it changed my life. I've never said that. <laughs> okay? That makes no sense to me. I have a YMCA membership and it is yet to change my life. Well, what would somebody say to me about that? Well, do you go? Yeah, I go there once a week to take my son to soccer practice. <laughs> do you? Do you get on the treadmill? No, no, no. Now that looks like torture. Why would we do that to people? See, I'm not using the equipment so that it can change my life. If you hear people sit there and say, look, I started going to Sunday Mass and it didn't make any difference to me in my life. There's something missing. I write a check every month to the church and it doesn't make any difference in my life. There's something missing. And what's missing is that that stewardship, that gift of self has to be lived out. Giving of everything that we have because our faith is not just something informative, but it must be performative. It must be lived out in order for it to change us. It can't just remain in our heads, but it must be lived out. It changes every part of us when we live it out. From our relationships with spouses, to children, to siblings, to work, to perhaps even how we vote. It changes everything. Every part of us when we begin to live it out. This is why stewardship really becomes a great temperature gauge of where we are at with Jesus. Stewardship becomes a great temperature gauge of where we are at with Jesus. I want you to think of Matthew chapter 6. It's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. and Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives us this great line. He says, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Wealth, property. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You will love the one and hate the other or hate one and love the other. Why is that? Why is our wealth, why is our time, talent, and treasure such a great temperature gauge of where we are at with Jesus? I just want you to think about this. When you make a decision... Whether it's going to be, where are we going to go out to eat tonight? Where are we going to go for vacation? Where are we going to send our kid to school? What I need some new clothes. What do you think about? When you make just about every decision you make, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Money. What does it cost? Money is the first thing that comes to your mind. Can you imagine if we could somehow change that thought process and every time we think about what we are going to do tonight or tomorrow or next year or for our children's future, if the first thing that came to our mind wasn't money, but the first thing that came to our mind was God's will. See how money just serves as this constant challenge to us of where our heart is with God. Are we really all in? I mean, you could take time, talent, and treasure and examine it, and it gives you somewhat of a report card. How many of you would like to have a report card with where you are at with Jesus? Actually, that doesn't sound so good. That would be, I, I wouldn't I want to show that to my mom. Sorry, Mom, it was just a C this quarter. Sorry. But if you want to know where we're at, look at our time telling our treasure. If you looked at your checkbook, or if we we don't use checkbooks anymore, if you looked at your online banking, if somebody looked at your online banking, would they know that you are a Christian by the way you spend your money? And I'm not talking simply about your weekly or monthly gift to your parish. That's not what I'm talking about. That's a good start. I'm talking about the way, the manner in which you spend your money, the movies you go see. Do they support your Christian faith or lessen it? The cable television you buy, does it support your faith? Or is it detrimental to it? The way you spend for entertainment, your vacations, the way you spend for your children. Because I tell you what, I see families all the time spend so much money to get their kids into the right schools or to get their kids to the right coaches and on the right teams so that perhaps they can have a chance to get a scholarship? Do we spend that kind of money, time and talent, so that they can get to heaven? Would they look at your bank statement and know you're a Christian? Could they look at your Google calendar, your daily calendar, and know that you are a Christian? And again, I'm not talking about simply going to Sunday Mass. I'm talking about, do you have time carved out in your schedule, intentional time that says this time, whether it's in the morning, or in the afternoon, or in the evening, this time is God's time every day, and I have it in my calendar. What about how we spend our talent? Does our boss get the best of our talent, or does the Lord? Because when Father comes to you and says, I, I really need some help in this, well, what what's the first thing that comes to our mind? I just, I don't have the time. I can't give you my talent because I don't have the time. I can't carve it out. Which, by the way, time is the most difficult thing to give. Because we don't get it back. Whereas that check that we write this month, as long as we have a job, we get that back next month. But time, we don't ever get back. Talent, we don't ever get back. Are we willing to give our first fruits? Now, I want to step into, out of this connection between discipleship and stewardship. Hopefully, you see that connection. Everybody good with their, once one becomes a disciple, stewardship is no longer an option. Amen? Now, how can we live this out? How about some practical sides of what stewardship looks like? I don't think I, personally, I don't think Chris Stewart needs to give you a lot of challenges as to what stewardship does for us. I think scripture provides us with enough challenges. I want you to open up your Bibles to Tobit, chapter 4. Open up your Bibles. Oh, this is a Catholic crowd. Never mind. Um, I, brought, I brought mine with me. Um, it's on your phones, though, if you uh, if you have your phones. I want you to open it up to Tobit, though. Tobit, chapter four, start in verse seven. If you've never read the book of Tobit, I really—it's a beautiful story, a beautiful love story, a beautiful story about a father and a son, a beautiful story about a son and his spouse. Um, Actually, I chose it as our first reading for our wedding. But in Tobit chapter 4, verse 7, this is the challenge that the scripture gives us. Give alms from your possession to all who live uprightly and do not let your eye begrudge the gift when you make it. I love this image. Do not let your eye begrudge the gift when you make it. Do not keep your eye On the gift. Just give it. Just give it. So many times I've heard this. Around the country I hear this. I don't like what Father did with my money. I don't like what Father does with my money. I don't like what the bishop does with my money. Well, I want to say this. Now, first of all, let let me stop and take a time out here. Um, look, priests and bishops do not have any right to do whatever they want with the money. It's not their money either. In fact, if you go to canon law, that book of canon law, there are more canons dealing with the finances of the church than any other section. They get that. But my point is this, as we come back. My point is this, is that once you have given the money... It's not your money. Do you see that? If it is a gift, if you have given it away, it's not your money. So the language that sits there and says, I don't like what Father did with my money, doesn't work. If it is a gift, that'd be like if you gave me a sweater for Christmas, and then you saw me wearing it on a Tuesday, and you came up and says, what are you doing wearing my sweater on a Tuesday? That's clearly a Wednesday sweater. Did, did you give it to me as a gift or not? It's mine. All right? Do not let your eye be judged. Do not keep your eye on it. Let it go. Give it. Now again, it's not father's money or the bishop's money. Do whatever they want. There are canons that govern that. It's not theirs either. It's the church's. But they are in charge of it. It's not ours. Give it. He goes on. Do not turn your face away from any poor man, and the face of God will not be turned away from you. If you have many possessions, make your gift from them in proportion. If few, do not be afraid to give according to the little you have. So you'll be laying up a good treasure for yourself against the day of necessity. And this is the part that I want you to catch here. For charity delivers from death and keeps you from entering the darkness. And here it is. Verse 11, and for all who practice it, charity is an excellent offering in the presence of the Most High. Charity is an excellent offering in the presence of the Most High. Now, when you as Catholics hear that word offering, you're probably thinking offertory, halftime time at Mass. But I need to take that out and put ourselves in the Jewish Hebrew mind of what an offering was. Typically, to a Jewish Hebrew mind, what was an offering to God? It was typically a sacrifice. A bull, an ox, a goat, a lamb, a dove. It's a sacrifice. But in the Hebrew mind, that sacrifice was what? Why did they sacrifice the bull? Because that was an act of worship to God. Those offerings in the Hebrew mind was an an act of worship to the Almighty. Giving their first fruits so they could worship God. Do we see our offertory. Do we see ourselves writing the check as an act of worship, or is it just another bill? Do you put that money into the basket when it comes and says, I love you, Lord, and I worship you, and you are Lord and King of my life. Do you put it in there as an act of worship? Do you put in there as as an act of sacrifice truly for perhaps somebody else to be able to offer them up? I mean, if you thought about that, if you could make your sacrifice of your monthly check for somebody, maybe a, a son who's away from the church. A daughter who's struggling with same-sex attraction. Grandchildren that have not been baptized. If you could write a check and say, I offer this worship for them. Would that change how you give, what you give? I think this is the mindset that we need to get into. This is what scripture is telling us about our offering. A few chapters later, in Tobit chapter 12, he is still speaking about our gifts, our first fruits. In Tobit chapter 12, verse 8, he says, Prayer is good when accompanied by fasting, almsgiving, and righteousness. A little with righteousness is better than much with wrongdoing. It is better to give alms than to treasure up gold. For almsgiving delivers from death and a purge away every sin. And this is the part that I want you to catch. Those who perform deeds of charity and of righteousness will have fullness of life. Those who perform deeds of charity and of righteousness will have fullness of life. I think this is a theme that Scripture lays out clearly. That when you give you are made full. Which is really counterintuitive. When we give, in our mind, we think that we're going to have less. But this is not. This is not what Scripture is presenting. Scripture is saying that when we give, we are made full. When you give your charity, you will have fullness of life. Amen? Amen. There's another story that I think captures this. I'm not going to read it to you because it's one that you're familiar with. In 1 Kings chapter 17, the story of Elijah and the widow of Zain. Remember the widow and there's a famine going on and Elijah comes upon her and she's picking up sticks. Remember this? She's picking up sticks and Elijah comes to her and says, Hey, could you go get me a drink? And the woman simply turns and she goes and gets him a drink. Of the, and the prophet says, hold on, could you also bring me a little cake? I don't know if, if she just had it at that point, because uh, he didn't even say please, which is rude. Um, but she finally turns and says, look, I have a little oil and a little meal, and I was picking up sticks so I could make a little fire and make a cake and eat it so that my son and I could have our last meal and die. You hear what she says? And remember Elisha's response? That sounds good. (laughs) Which I just love. Yeah, that's a great plan. Do that. But bring me the cake. And I promise you that the Lord God of Israel not let the oil one dry or the meal run out. And she did it. And what happened with the oil and the meal? Did it ever run out? No, never. He said the oil would not run dry until the famine ends. When did the oil run dry? Never. She gave and she was made full. She gave and she was made full. I want to go to another story in Scripture that captures this. If you open up to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, again, this is a story that we've heard, but I want to pay attention to some of these small details. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the multitude putting in money into the treasury. Which I love, I love this image. If you ever see your pastor like watching the offertory go around, right? he's just doing what Jesus did. Okay, He's watching people come and put their money into the treasury. Many rich put in large sums, praise God. A poor widow came and put in two copper coins, which make a penny. Now, I want you to catch this. Before we even go on to the rest of the story, I want you to catch this. She comes up and puts in two copper coins, which make a penny. While everybody else is putting in their large sums, she comes up and puts in a penny. I need you to think about the humility and the love of this woman. I mean, if I took a collection right now, all right, if I said, let's pass the and bishop, don't worry, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that. Unless you want me. No? Okay, all right. right. If if we took a collection right now. And I said, I just want you to put into the collection whatever you have in your purse and your wallet. It doesn't matter, big or small, it doesn't matter. I just want you to put in whatever you got. And you reached into your purse, you reached into your wallet, and all you had, and I'll even up it just a bit, all you had was a nickel. A nickel. and the basket is coming around and you're seeing people put in 20s and maybe a 50 and some 5s and some 1s in there and all you have is a nickel would you take it out and put it in the basket do you understand what I'm asking because I think many of us would struggle with the humility I don't want someone to see me simply putting in a nickel. Yet this woman comes up in front of everybody and puts in a penny. <laughs> That's impressive. In fact, that is so impressive that God Himself was impressed. You've got to see that. God Himself was impressed. She came up and put in a penny. In verse 43, and Jesus called his disciples and said to them, it's almost like Jesus was so impressed, he was so moved by this woman giving a penny that he goes, guys, 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 you got to come here. you got to come over here. You've got to see this. He calls his apostles over, says, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who contributed to the treasury, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, this is the part I want you to catch, she has put in everything she had, her whole living She has put in everything she has, her whole living. She has put in her whole life. She is all in. My brothers and sisters, who do you think went home full from the temple? She did. She put in everything, I promise you. She is the one that went home. Full because she was not giving out of her abundance but out of her needs, out of her poverty, and that is the challenge. Are we giving out of our surplus or are we giving out of our needs? Are we giving out of our abundance or are we giving? out of what's left over. Are we giving our first fruits? Tony last night mentioned his conversation with his daughter. I actually, I just this week had a conversation with my firstborn about her giving. And we had to have a conversation about what is meant by first fruits. Is that before taxes or after taxes? Because if you're not tithing, on what is before taxes then the government is getting your first fruits and the church is getting something less and we had that conversation she did not like it and we were just talking about eight dollars okay? but are we giving out of our first fruits out of our abundance I have been a massive fan Father Thomas Dubay. How many of you remember Father Thomas Dubai? He was an author. He was on EWTN a lot. His, his real work was in the spiritual life. He was a master when it came to St. Teresa of Avila and Saint John of the Cross. He passed away about five years ago. I got to meet him a couple times. I think one of the first times I ever got to meet him, I ran up to him and said, Father Dubay, Father Dubai, I'm like your biggest fan. Oh, well, thank you. And I said, Yeah, I have every book you have ever written, Father. And he looks at me and goes, Even the ones like on women religious? Yes, I have those too. And he kind of got this look like he wanted to remove himself from the conversation as quickly as possible. Anyway, he wrote a book called Happy Are You Poor? Happy Are You Poor? In which I picked it up because I was one of those two things. I was poor. I figured I would like to be happy as well. And I read the book and he shared this story and I think this is a story that happens at parishes across the country probably at least once a year. He says, imagine this scenario where a missionary comes to town who's doing third wor- uh, work in a third world country with orphans or, or the poor and he comes into the parish and he speaks about his efforts in that third world country. And how... How money means so much to them. How, you know, you give $300 so they can get a well. Give a 1000 and it builds an entire house. And, and couples go home. He says, imagine this conversation is probably very common. The husband and his wife is going home. The wife says, honey, do you think we could afford to give that missionary $50? I loved, I loved his message. I loved his work. Do you think we could afford to give the missionary $50? And the husband says, well, I think, yeah, I think we can afford that. What happens in that brief time, or really, what is meant by we can afford to give the $50? I think most often, this is what is meant by we can afford to give it. It means that I can give the $50, and we can still go out to eat tonight. We can still go see the movies that we wanted to see this weekend. We can still have all the cable television shows that we wanted We can still go on the vacation that we wanted to. We can still buy all the clothes that we wanted to. In other words, I can afford to give the $50 and nothing in my life has to change. See, that is giving out of our surplus, out of our abundance, and not out of our needs. That is not giving our first fruits. We need to give out of our first fruits, out of really our necessities. Our lives should be changed by how we are giving. Is that where we are at? Is that the challenge that we are laying down? Because if we want to be made full, I really believe that's where we need to be. To be able to give in a new dynamic way. I've been blessed to be a member um, in Wichita, at St. Francis of Assisi. And that stewardship way of life that Tony mentioned really began at my parish. Now, I was not there when it began. But Monsignor Thomas McGreed, an Irish priest, he went all in with the stewardship way of life. And he began it at St. Francis. And he would give a homily, probably about once a year, he'd give the same homily in his thick Irish accent. He said, even if St. Francis had all the money she ever needed, I apologize to anyone who's Irish, I just butchered that, you're probably offended, I apologize. He would say, even if St. Francis had all the money she ever needed, if somebody had endowed the parish with $50 million and we could operate on the interest... Monsignor would say, even if she had all the money she ever needed, I would take a collection every Sunday. And I would take the money and I'd put it in a barrel and I would burn it in front of you. Because we don't give because the church needs our money. We don't give because Bishop needs our money. We don't give because God needs our money. I'm going to let you in in a little secret. God doesn't need our money. Money to God is loaves and fishes. He is the creator of the universe. He is outside of space and time. If you think he needs your money, I'm sorry to pop your bubble. We don't give because God needs our money. We give because we need to give. You and I need to give. That challenge that says, are you all in? I am all in. Here is my first fruits. Here's my time, talent, and my treasure. Here is everything that I am. Here is my act of worship. It is a self-sacrificial gift. That's what stewardship is. I'm all in with Jesus and I'm all in with you. Self-sacrificial. An absurd gift. That's an absurd gift. That's mind-blowing. That's what we're being called to. This is why selfishness is at the root of so many of our problems. Just as human beings in general. I mean, you think about marriage. When selfishness enters into a marriage, it's deadly. Think about the workplace. If selfishness enters into the workplace, it's deadly. Sports, friendships. Selfishness is actually one of the most anti-human vices that there, that there are. I mean, if I could have a volunteer, if you could come up. Yeah, you, right there. Yeah, yeah, come on, come on up. Come on up. What's your name? Mel. Mel? Watch my heart. <laughs> okay. Okay. Alright. If I did this, if if Mel, if I asked Mel, Mel, I want you to represent what being selfish would look like. I mean how would you imagine that? To me, I imagine it it's like arms crossed. Right? Arms crossed. No, not yet. Arms crossed. I'm running the show here, Mel. Come on. Alright? Arms crossed. Mel, I want you to come over here and help me do this or that. I want you to give... No, he's not having it. Arms crossed. He's not doing it. Okay? But there's a problem with this selfish act. Not only can Mel not help me, is he not willing to help me, but there's also another problem with this position. And that is this. If I went to actually give Mel something, he can't grab it. He can't receive it. Selfishness really cuts himself off from everyone. But if we wanted to demonstrate what selflessness looks like, what it is to be selfless, I imagine that it's arms stretched out. And the more selfless he is, the more those arms go out. out, The more those arms go out. And the more those arms go out. And the more those arms go out. And that position looks awfully familiar, does it not? That looks a lot like our Lord in his gift of sacrifice. Amen? Thank you, Mel. That was awesome. Thanks, buddy. Here you go. Now you can have it. There you go. All right. No, that's yours. Yeah. To be self sacrificial, to be all it. Christ is our great example of being the steward, the giver of all good gifts. If you think about the hymns from Philippians, that Jesus emptied himself, took the form of a slave, was obedient even unto death, death on a cross. Jesus went all in. Jesus gave us everything so that we could have everything. Jesus gave all of himself so that we could have Himself. Jesus gave everything so that we could have the hope of eternal life. And yet, what are we willing to give in return? It seems like this exchange is not matching up. He's willing to bestow upon us our every desire are all happiness and we're willing to give him a Sunday mass a weekend here some money here are we all in with him do you really think that if you go all in that he's going to let you down that if you let those nets go that Father was talking about yesterday, if you let another one go, do you really think that if you drop something to give it to the Lord, that somehow he's gonna drop you? That somehow he's gonna let you down. Go ahead, test him and see. Now I know you probably think lightning's gonna strike me right now. You don't you don't test the Lord. I remember that. That was second grade. You did not test the Lord. I agree unless the Lord told you to test him. If you go to to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, verse, verse 10. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. You might want to write this down just in case you think I'm making this one up. The prophet is speaking for the Lord. And he says this, bring the full tithes into the storehouse. Bring your full tithe. The whole tithe. The before taxes tithe. The it hurts to give it tithe. The it's going to change what I do for vacation tithe. Bring your full tithe into my storehouse. And thereby put me to the test. Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. Test him and see. Do you really think that we're going to outgive God? If you go all in, do you really think that somehow he's going to disappoint you? This is why I wanted you to applaud your priest and your bishop. Because this stewardship way of life that I've come to know it in the Diocese of Wichita is a leap of faith that our priests have taken that was so inspiring that we took it with them and we jumped off that cliff. That they say, look, you take care of the church, you live this stewardship way of life, and we will take care of your children's education K-12. through you don't worry about it. You take care of us, we'll take care of you. That's a leap of faith. You know why? Because you can bill somebody for tuition. You can make budgets on tuition. To make budgets on what people are gonna give you, that's a little bit more difficult. As someone who runs a non for profit C three and I'm in charge of the budget every year, it's difficult. And your board looks at you funny. But tuition, I can put a number to that. In fact, I was I was down in New Orleans, we were speaking at a conference down in New Orleans, and I had some friends from college and I went out and had a beer with him and we started talking about stewardship. He's a he's a lawyer, he's a young lawyer, he's not making big bucks, he's not partner. He's got six kids, twelve and under. He says he has to pay twenty one thousand dollars a year for tuition. Blew me away. $21,000 a year for tuition. I said, well, what about your tithe? Where are you at with your tithe? This is Chris. There's nothing else to give. You have 21000 for tuition. And it finally hit me, for some reason, it finally hit me that the leap of faith that it takes, because what his pastor would have to say to him is, Matt, look, I don't want your $21,000. I don't want it. I want your tithe. And by the way, he's not making $210,000. His tithe would be significantly less. That's a leap of faith. Are we willing to do that? That kind of leap? To say that we're all in? To really trust in the Lord? Do you really think He's going to leave you orphaned? My wife and I, we've been blessed with our family. We have seven kids, um, four biological, three adopted. Our oldest is actually adopted. We adopted her late in life. She's amazing in a lot of different ways. She's complicated in a lot of different ways. She comes from a rough background. But when she was a senior in high school, she had made the decision that she wanted to go to Franciscan University. And that meant that this girl would give up a childhood dream. She was extremely talented in softball. I mean, a great softball. She was being recruited by all the major Division I softball schools. Stanford and Notre Dame and all the SEC schools. It was a dream of hers. But to go to Franciscan University, she meant she gave up that Division One dream. Because Franciscan University is not Division One. And their softball program has not won a game in about six years. So she was giving up a dream. Her senior year, she came to me and she was crying. She goes, I think I'm going to quit softball. Her senior year, fall, uh, spring semester, she was going to not play sophomore. I said, well, why is that? She says, well, you know, after all the grants, after all the scholarships, I'm still thousands short to be able to go to Franciscan. I'm thinking, I need to get a job. And, and be able to cover that. I said, look, that's, that's fair. Um, have you prayed about that? Are you really sure that you're supposed to go to Franciscan University? She said, yeah, I'm sure. Okay. Have you prayed about how you're going to get there? Because if the Lord has a plan for you to go there, he has a way for you to get there. Now, I'm not telling you that perhaps quitting softball and going to get a job to pay for it, that may be his plan. But you need to pray about that. So she took me seriously. She went to adoration. She said she spent like over three hours in adoration. And during her time in adoration, all that kept coming to her was this $300 that she had in her savings account. This $300 that she had had there for years that she would never touch. No matter how many times her car would break down, if she needed a new mitt, a new bat, she would never touch this $300. It was really became like a security blanket for her. That she would always have this. As she tried to get out of her head, she'd open up the Bible, try to read a story. This $300 would come back. She'd pray a rosary. This $300 would come back. After hours of this, she just fine. I get it, and she left the adoration chapel. The next day, she went to the bank. She withdrew her $300 in tens and in twenties. She put it in an envelope. She went to the church and crying and shaking. She left the money in the church and said, "It's yours." That night, she plays. Um, she would play for this uh, kind of like an old folks' home, a nursing home. About three Saturdays out of the month, she's a girl who she could play just about any instrument you put before her. This is how you know she's adopted. Okay, that <laughs> so was not me. She had done this since so she was like a freshman. And the director of the facility at their intermission brought her up and said, look, three and a half years ago when you started playing, I told everybody here, she's such a talent, and she comes in here and she plays. She doesn't make a dime. She just does it of her own free will, gives her time, talent, and her treasure so that she can entertain us. But one one day, this girl's going to want to go to college. So we started taking a collection. We put a box in the back. And I made everybody a promise. I said, look, whatever you put in that box, I will double every single time. And they had a little screen that came down and said, this is what we've collected for you. And they put the number up there, and it was the exact amount she owed Franciscan University to the dollar. She was moved after the concert that night. She went to the back and said, well, whatever's in that back box, that's yours tonight as well. Whatever's in that back box, that's yours. So she, she went to the back. She took it out. She went home, and she counted it out and there was $300 in tens and twenties my brothers and sisters do you really think that you're going to outgive god do you really think you're going to give in a new way that you really think you're going to give in a surprising way and our lord is not going to catch you If we want God, if we are serious about God, working in our lives in a dynamic way, working in our lives like we see in the lives of the saints, then are we willing to do something different? To give in a different way? To go all in? Because not only does it change your life, not only do you begin to realize that it's not me that's holding on, it's God that's holding on. But not only does it begin to change us, it begins to change those around us. I think it was our last year of teaching that Tony and I were teaching. We we were down in uh, Arizona doing a Lytton parish mission. And we were going to be back down there in like three weeks with a different parish. And so we decided, well, how about we go out and have lunch with that pastor and his staff? And so we did. And and during that time, they told us about an orphanage that they were working with in Haiti. If you remember the earthquake in Haiti. Thousands left orphans. And they decided that they didn't want to go through the Red Cross. They didn't want to go through any other organization. They wanted an orphanage to themselves. And so they began to support it. They would send parishioners down there two, three times a year. And send money to it. And we were amazed by this. And we were flying back home to Wichita. And Tony came up with this idea. He says, how about this Lent? Because it was at the beginning of Lent. How about this Lent? We challenge our students to give in a new way. And we take that money. We'll, we'll go give it to that orphanage. And so we came in. I believe it was a Friday. We came in and we just talk to our students, everything really about what we were talking about here this morning, about giving in a new way, giving out of your needs and not out of your surplus, to give in a way that it changes what you do this weekend, to give in a way that it's going to change what you do this spring break. And we said, we just want you to give in a new way, in a dynamic way. Those kids that first day reached into their wallets and reached into their purses and gave over $2,000. Now, As a Catholic school teacher, I was sitting there going, my students are carrying around $2,000. I can't remember the last time I saw $2,000. And we said, look, we're going to do this for one week, from this Friday to next Friday. And it's just going to be Tony. It was just Tony's classes and my classes. We said, we're going to give. We're going to challenge each other. We want you to give in a new way. We want you to give until it hurts. And every day they came in. I remember one student came up to Tony, I was in the back of uh, the classroom, one student came up to Tony. She put like 20 bucks in the bucket. She turned away, walked back to her seat, she just stopped. She turned back around, took out another 20, put it in the bucket. Remember we asked her, we said, what was that all about? And she said, the first 20 didn't hurt enough. She gave in a new way. We raised in that week from these high school students, we raised over $18,000 in one week. Tony and I were blown away by what they gave. We were so excited to be able to go down to this parish in Arizona. We said, We got to do this right. You know, we got to get one of those prices right checks and write the amount on there. You know what I'm talking about. You got to do it right. And we went down there on the last night of the mission. And they didn't even know it was coming, but we brought Father up and we told them the story about what our students did. And we said, here you go, here's the check for your orphans. The entire congregation was just so moved, tears. Father didn't know what to say. They were so blown away. Well, that next weekend, that was the talk of the parish. And they said, look, they just gave, these students who have never met our orphans, who have never been down there, just gave one of the biggest donations we will ever make. Can we match it? So that weekend, Father challenged him. They matched it. They gave like $32,000. And he said, what? We can't even double what they gave? So someone wrote a check for 5000 They sent down there over $50,000. It was the single biggest gift, contribution, that that parish had ever made. Why? Because some students in Wichita, Kansas decided to give. Not only does it change us, but it changes those around us. One final story. What good Catholic talk is, is, you know, a good Catholic talk if it doesn't include a story about Mother Teresa, right? Bob McFarlane, who was the co founder of Americares, was good friends with Mother Teresa, and he was invited to go to Mexico with her. And so they were flying to Mexico. And as they were flying there, a flight attendant came around and says, Mother, what would you like for dinner or for lunch? And Mother said, oh, well, how much is the meal? Oh, Mother, it's, it's, it's free. It's part of your ticket. You don't have to worry about that. And Mother goes, well, no, no, but how much is it? Like, how much is it worth? And the flight attendant didn't know, so she had to go up and knock on the door to the captain and says, Captain, um, Mother Teresa is here. And I could just imagine that captain going, yes, I know she is. Yes. This is so much pressure. Do not want to be the man that took down Mother Teresa. She says, Well, mother wants to know how much is the meal. It's a part of the ticket. Do they do you not know that? It's a part of the ticket. I know, but she wants to know how much is it's like it's like a dollar ninety something, like two dollars. Okay, it's two dollars. Tell her it's two dollars. So she goes back, she says, Mother, the meal is is two dollars. And mother says, Well, I'd like to fast. Could I just have the two dollars? So the flight attendant doesn't know what to do with that. So she goes back to the cabin and says, Captain, um, Mother wants the $2. <laughs> Leave me alone. Okay, fine, just give her the $2. Or just give her the $2. It's Mother Teresa. What do you say to Mother Teresa? You tell her no? No. So the flight attendant goes back and says, Mother, we'd be happy to give you $2. You don't have to eat the meal. Well, Bob McFarlane is sitting next to Mother. So what is he going to do? Is he just going to enjoy his meal while Mother Teresa is fasting next to him? So he looks at the flight attendant and goes, I would also like the two dollars, and I will fast. The row in front of them heard this, the row behind them heard this, it spread throughout the plane, about eighty percent of the plane just asked for their two dollars and we're going to fast. After the flight was over, Everyone collected their two dollars. They all gave it to Mother Teresa so she could give to the poor. And after they got off the plane, she stopped and she asked the flight attendant, she said, now what are you guys going to do with those meals that we didn't eat? It's <laughs> a valid question. So well, Mother, they've been on the plane, so we actually we have to throw them away. She says, let me have them. Can I have them? It's Mother Teresa, what do you say? no so she looked at Bob and said Bob I need a truck go get me a truck so Bob goes and finds a truck they load the truck up with the meals they take the money, they leave the airport and the first poor barrio they see they get out, she gives the meals away she gives the money away and I want you to think about in this little story that a woman lived a life of discipleship and stewardship in such a dynamic way that 80% of the plane gave in a new way in a way that they had never thought of before. What our church needs today is not better development programs, not better ran campaigns. What we need today is for you and me to live lives that are dynamic, that are extraordinary, that are lives of saints, that are all in with Jesus and all in with one another. And that will change our lives, and it will change those around us. If we learn to give in such an absurd, sacrificial way, my brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, our families will have a new hope. Our parishes will have a new life. This country can still be saved if we make the decision to be saints. To fall in love and to give in a way that we had never thought of before. Amen? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just come before you. And we ask for this new grace. Lord, we ask for that grace to be aware of the things that we are still holding on to. Those nets that we are still holding on to, Lord. Give us the grace to drop them. And Lord, if need be, I give you permission to rip it out of my hands because I'm too weak to let go. I'm too afraid. Lord, give us this grace so we can come to know you in a new way, so we can come to serve you in a new way. And Lord, that that not end in us, but that gratitude spread to everyone around us. Mother Mary, please pray for us and pray with us as we say, Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Mother Perpetual Help, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. God bless. That was wonderful and amazing, (laughs) truly amazing. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it very much. We're going to take a break now.